want you to turn in your Bibles to, to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1. Now, last summer, I was praying about uh, what to speak on in 2017. We actually planned that far in advance. And uh, I, I couldn't get away from the idea of doing a whole year-long series on the life of Jesus. And while I was praying... As you well know, our nation was already knee-deep in a very divisive, uh, contentious presidential election, which uh, hasn't stopped, by the way. And I was watching so much craziness being played on, on, on social media and the news, and, and I realized that Christians across the world, across our country, even in our church, were divided um, and, and very troubled by what was going on, and, and really not knowing what 2017 was going to bring I just felt like our church needed to be zeroed in on Jesus. We need to be focused on the life of Jesus. Plus, I knew that, that uh, our 20th year anniversary was going to be in 2017. Uh, September 10th, we will have celebrated uh, 20 years of being here in this area. And so I could not think of a better way to celebrate 20 years of Westridge Church than to spend a whole year talking and teaching about the one who is at the very center of everything that we do uh, including this moment on Sunday morning, the, 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 the person of Jesus Christ. So three weeks ago, we started our 11-month journey, and uh, we started out by asking the question, why Jesus? And in week one, we posed the, the question, do the claims of Jesus prove that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, or, his, or is his life just a hoax? Was it a, was it a, was it a scam? Is it, is it fact or is it fiction? And then last week, uh, we looked at the, the early years of Jesus, and we studied how that God, the Father, had prepared Jesus throughout his life for his calling and purpose, which was to go to the cross, to die for our sins, and to be our Savior. Well, this morning, we're going to study an event that, that took place right before Jesus began his earthly ministry, and it's an event that, that holds great significance across uh, denominational lines. Uh, matter of fact, I think most religions, regardless... Uh, talk about or have some kind of baptism that is included into the tradition of the denomination or the, uh, the religion. But oftentimes it's misunderstood, and I think a lot of times it's mistaught, but it's extremely important. And we're talking this morning about the baptism of Jesus and how that impacts us. Well, with our Bibles turned to Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin to speak or to teach out of verse 9. Here's what it says. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And he, or Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, last week I talked about Jesus' hometown of Nazareth and how his, his future disciples were talking one day. It was actually Nathaniel, who otherwise is known in the other Gospels as Bartholomew. And he, he kind of leads out with this snarky question about following Jesus. And he asks the question, can anything good actually come out of Nazareth? You see, Jesus came from a very poor background. He came out of a city that was not only obscure, but that didn't really have a good reputation. And it reminded me when I read this, it reminded me of how, uh, actually 21 years ago now, how that when we talked about moving to uh, Paulding County, Georgia, and if you remember, I mean, we, our first offices were in Hiram, and we met it in a little elementary school in West Cobb for a while, and then a, in a high school across the street, which is here in Dallas, Georgia. But, but when we talked about moving here, we caught a lot of flack. We caught a lot of ribbing from people that knew the Atlanta metro area about starting a church in Paulding County. And uh, back in 1997, Paulding County had one of the lowest uh, income earning bases per capita in, in the whole Atlanta metro area. It was the, the furthest commute of all the Atlanta uh, communities, counties. It still is, matter of fact. And honestly, 
no other church planters wanted to plant a church in Paulding County. They wanted to plant churches in Alpharetta. They wanted to plant churches in East Cobb, West Cobb. But it was like everybody, you know, people were starting to plant churches and they were just kind of going around the, you know, the loop, the 285 loop and just kind of jumping over Paulding County. And I thought, where's no one, where, where, does, where does no one want to go? And everybody, Paulding County, that's where I'm going. That's where we're starting a church. And uh, at the time, Paulding was the fastest growing, uh, seventh fastest growing county in the country. 93.7% people in, in this community didn't go to church, which just blew my mind. And here we are, almost 20 years later, uh, we're the church that's impacting our community with the love of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of church plants, significant work in, Af- in Af- uh, Africa and Guatemala and Cuba. And I have to ask the question, can anything good come out of Paulding County? And the answer is absolutely yes. All right. Now, I know some of you are from Cobb County and you're from Douglas County and you're from, you know, Bartow and Polk and you may have come over here from Alabama this morning. But we, we, don't, we talk more about Northwest Atlanta than we do about specific counties because we realize we're a regional church. But that's really what was going on, you know, back at the time. But personally, listen, I want you to know, God, God doesn't need you to come from prominence or wealth or some big city to use you in a big way. If you are willing to have faith and to walk in obedience to him, he can use your life to make a huge impact regardless of where you've come from. All right? Now, the second thing to note about verse 9 is this. Jesus is being baptized by his cousin John. If you remember, uh, Mary uh, and John's mother, Elizabeth, were cousins. And so over the centuries, there have been a lot of debates as to why John would actually baptize Jesus. And why was Jesus being baptized in the first place? Well, John's message before Jesus even shows up into this moment here was, was to people was to repent. In other words, to change your mind about your sin and turn your life to Jesus Christ. And to be baptized was, was, was to symbolize this act of repentance and this faith in Christ. Well, as we know, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He, he didn't need to repent of his sin. So then why in the world would a perfect, sinless son of God need to be baptized? Well, the answer is stated in what I'm going to call the big idea of this morning's message. First of all, Jesus came, became like us so that we could become like him. Jesus became our great example so that we would have a great example to follow. Now, To answer the question a little bit more clearly, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn one book backwards to the book of Matthew, okay, in the first book of the New Testament, Matthew and then Mark, but turn to Matthew if you would, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew tells us a little bit more about this same exact story and answers the question of why Jesus was baptized. Well, Matthew tells us that John the Baptist, again, is baptizing people who have repented of their sin, who have turned to God by faith, and then Jesus comes along and he asks John to baptize him, And, and John tries to talk him out of it, saying something like this, why, why are you here? You should be baptizing me. I have no right to baptize you. But in verse 15 of chapter 3, Jesus answers him and he says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John understood exactly what he was saying, and the Bible says, then he consented. Well, what is, what is Jesus saying here? What does this mean? Well, those who were being baptized we're looking forward to a Messiah who would be righteous, a Messiah who would bring righteousness to the world. Well, if the Messiah was going to bring righteousness to sinners, even though he had never sinned, Jesus was saying that he must identify, he must identify himself 
with those sinners. In other words, Jesus got baptized to publicly identify himself with us. He went into the water to identify with the very people he loves and the people that he came to save. As if to say, if this is so important for you, then it's going to be important for me. I'm going to share in the same experience that you are sharing in so that you can see and understand that the Son of God has come to become like you and I'm the only way that you can truly be righteous in God's eyes. All right? I have become your great example so I could give you a great example to follow. Now, go back to Mark chapter 1 if you would for a moment. All right? Mark chapter 1 verse 10. We're going to keep reading It says, and then he came up out of the water and immediately saw the heavens. He saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and it said this, you are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. Now, there's some interesting parallels that that take place here between the baptism of Jesus and the creation account that we find in Genesis chapter one. In both accounts, we see all three members of the Trinity involved. You see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit involved in both stories. And in this story, in Mark chapter 1, we see the Spirit of God, we see it in in Genesis 1 as well, hovering or fluttering over water. And we see God speaking. And here's the significance of that. In Genesis 1, God is ushering into the world. He's ushering in creation. Jesus' baptism is marked is marking the beginning of him ushering in a brand new creation. This was a moment that Jesus publicly accepted his mission to be our savior. In other words, through his baptism, he was entering into the work that God the Father had sent him to do, sent him to perform here on earth, which was what? Which was restore, which was the work of restoring broken things and restoring broken people so that the world could be free from sin and all of its consequences and once again experience life and creation the way God intended it to be from the very beginning of time. Now look a little closer at the details that we see Mark gives us in in these two verses because they point us to some some interesting truth. What what happened when Jesus was baptized? Well, three things happened. Jesus comes out of the water and the Bible says that the heavens tore open. Now the word torn in in verse 10 is translated from a Greek verb called shizo. And it's a verb that Mark uses again in chapter 15 verse 38 when he writes about the veil of the temple being torn in two as Jesus took his very last breath on the cross. Now, this is huge. This is huge. Because that veil was a curtain that separated what was known as the most holy place or or the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. The holy of holies is where the presence of God dwelt. No one was ever allowed to go into that area of the temple except for once once a year. Once a year, the high priest would go into that part, the Holy of Holies, and he would make a sacrifice. And it was called the Day of Atonement. He would make a sacrifice for all of the sins of Israel. Now, don't miss this. That veil being torn in two on Good Friday, the day that Jesus died on the cross, and now the heavens being torn open here at Jesus' baptism, both point to the exact same thing. God himself had broken into human history to save his people. Because of Jesus, sinners like you and me now have access to the very presence of God. Now think about this for a moment. 
We no longer have to go through a priest to be in the presence of God. We no longer have to rely on someone else or a mediator, someone else, to make our sacrifices for us. Jesus accomplished all of that on the cross on our behalf. The God of the universe, out of great love for you and great love for me, made a way for you to personally enter into his presence and to hang out with him. In other words, the veil has now been torn away. So listen, when we come into worship... On any Sunday morning, or whether it's Wednesday night students or whatever that looks like, we should always remember that his death on the cross made it possible for us to come into, this, in, into his presence and to worship him directly. Man, let's, let's never take this opportunity lightly. What Jesus did on the cross made what we're doing today possible. And let it never become familiar to us. That we, that we forget that our ability to encounter the presence of God literally cost Jesus everything. When you get up in the morning and you have your time with God, you open up your Bible and you are praying directly to God without anyone else involved and you are speaking to him, you're reading his word back to you, that opportunity cost Jesus his very life. He laid down his life so that we could enter into the most holy place, never to be separated from God again. So the heavens tear open. The second thing that happens is the Spirit descends upon Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people to empower them for direct active services. And service. He would come and then he would go. But what's happening to Jesus is a little different. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus to give him the power he needs to fulfill the mission he came to accomplish. And he sticks. He stays. Hebrews chapter 11 prophesies about this very same thing 700 years before Jesus ever shows up, before this event ever takes place. Let's look at it. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and, of, and fear of the Lord. Now, what's so amazing about what happened to Jesus is that the Holy Spirit does the exact same thing for us. When we receive God's free gift of salvation by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and he fills us to empower us to live powerfully, to be his witnesses here on this earth. Now I talked last week about our calling and purpose. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us everything that we need to live powerfully in this lifetime, but also to fulfill our calling and purpose, which is to point other people to the Savior. So the heavens open, the Spirit ascends on Jesus, and then God the Father speaks. And when he spoke, listen, he spoke some very powerful truth over Jesus' life. First, he spoke to Jesus' identity. He spoke, he declared, listen, this is, you are my son, my one and only son, and he, I love you. And then he spoke to Jesus' approval. He said, not only are you my son whom I love, but you are my son who I am well pleased with. Now think about this for a moment. How many of you would love to have a mom or a dad Speak words like that over your life. Well, here's what's incredible about this. God has already spoken those words over your life. And he's not just spoken them once, but he continues to speak those words over your life. Through our salvation and our relationship with Jesus Christ, your heavenly father says to you that you are my son, you are my daughter who I my love, and not only that, but I am well pleased with you. Now listen, we live in a culture where people are desperately looking for identity in something or someone. I mean, you just listen to the news over the last few years. I mean, the, the conversation has, all been, has been all about sexual identity, 
racial identity, social economic identity, political identity. I mean, the list goes on and on. Why? Because all of us know that at a very deep level, satisfaction and happiness and identity are linked together. And the problem in our culture is that people are bent on finding their identity apart from God, which never works. And the reason why it never works is simple. Every single one of us were created by God to be in a relationship with his son, Jesus. He made us his son, to be his sons and daughters. And he intended for us to live for him. But sin messed all that up. It caused the world to be disconnected from God. It caused us to, to, to be disconnected from, God, from, from who God actually created us to be. And that's why Jesus came. He came to earth to pay the price for sin and to purchase us back from the consequences and the grip that sin had over our lives. He came to reconnect us back to God and his plan for us and to restore our, 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 our identities in him alone. He, he became like us so that we might become like him. He became our great example so that we would have a great example to follow. Listen, if your identity is wrapped up in anything other than Jesus, if it's wrapped up in stuff or it's wrapped up in, in success or the future or, or sexuality or the color of your skin or your political affiliation or whatever that looks like, you will always be empty and dissatisfied, which will cause you to keep searching and searching for something or someone to fill that void and emptiness that exists in your life. Listen. The only way, the only way that you'll ever be truly satisfied is by knowing Jesus and by understanding that because of your faith in him, the God of the universe declares over you that you are his loved son, that you are his loved daughter, and nothing will ever change that. Now that's a good time to clap right there, all right? Listen, and God not only desires to declare over you your identity, he desires to declare, to declare over you his approval. Now, there's something fascinating about this passage. God gave Jesus his approval before he ever accomplished anything. Jesus hadn't even started his ministry yet. He hadn't healed anyone. He hadn't cast out any demons. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. And yet God declares over him, not only do I love you, son, but I am well pleased with you. Stamp of approval. And this is such a great reminder for us that God's approval doesn't depend on what you do or don't do. It depends on who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. In other words, God's approval isn't based on your performance, but it's based on your place in his family. Now, I know that sounds totally countercultural. Because we live in such a performance-based society, and oftentimes we apply all of that, all of those same rules to our relationship with God. We convince ourselves, listen, if, if God is really going to be pleased with me, i got to do all these churchy religious things and prove myself to him. But, but, but that all changes when you understand that according to the Bible, God is a loving father, not a lording boss. Parents, think about this for a moment. Think about your own kids for a moment. Do you love and accept and approve of them as your sons and daughters because they get it right all the time? Of course not. If, if anything, you love and accept and approve of them as your sons and daughters in spite of the fact that they don't get it wrong or right all of the time. All right? And why? Because they're yours. They're your kids. And nothing about their performance changes that fact. And the same thing is true about, about us being the children of God. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you've been adopted by God into his family. And we're, so we're not his employees. We're his kids, which means he loves us and approves of us in spite of our performance. And when you understand this amazing truth, listen, it, it, it sets you free in incredible ways. 
Because you realize, I don't have to obey God to gain his approval. I get to obey God because he already approves of me. I don't have to work hard to get God's love. I get to work hard because God already loves me. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear the difference? Jesus has done all the necessary work through his life, death, and resurrection for God to love and accept you and me fully and forever. There's nothing left for you to do but to rest in and to respond to his approval. And all of that should make us want to follow him and be like him. Just, oh, so much more. But where does all that begin? Well, if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, then what do you do next? Well, Jesus gives us the example. We follow him in baptism. What does that mean? What what is baptism? Well, as believers, we get baptized to publicly identify ourselves with Jesus. We follow his great example. Baptism is a public declaration that we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone to be our personal Lord and Savior. In other words, it's an outward symbol of an inward decision. Through baptism, we have declared that we have become a brand new person in Christ. The old me is dead and the new me is alive in Jesus. That's what makes baptism so significant. It's like a marriage ceremony. Almost 25 years now, my wife gave me this ring. Well, that's actually the third one because I lost two others. But she gave me a ring just like this one. And when I put this ring on my finger, it says to the whole world, I belong to that woman. She, I'm, I'm hers and she's mine. And so when you, when you get baptized, it's a public declaration of your love and your commitment to Jesus. It also symbolically identifies you with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why we dunk people in this church, why we immerse them in water? I mean, some of you have been brought up in a tradition where you were sprinkled as a baby or maybe someone poured water on your head or you, you were a fire hose. I don't know how it happened for you, okay? But... There, there's a reason why we do what we do here, okay? I want you to think about, you know, over here, some of you may, if you're new to Westridge, we have a baptism tub over there in a moment. It's going to become a big part of the service in a moment, all right? When you get in that tub, here's what's happening. First of all, you're making a public declaration. We're asking you a question. Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Have you received him into your life to be your Lord and personal Savior? All right, have we put your faith and trust in Jesus alone? And then when we put you down into the tub, all right, backwards, whatever that, it could be forward, but it's backwards, you go down into the water. In other words, that old person and your sin has died, and it's symbolic that you have been buried in Christ, buried with Christ. And when you come up out of the water, you are raised to walk with new, in new life. Baptism says to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus. I belong to him. My sins have been forgiven. And because of Jesus, I am a brand new person. I used to be spiritually dead, but now I'm spiritually alive. Jesus has given me new life. Baptism also identifies you with the church. In baptism, not only are you naming yourself among those who have committed to follow Jesus, but you're saying that you want to be part of a group of fellow believers that are identifying themselves with Jesus, which is called the body of Christ, the church. In Acts chapter 2, we see all of these people coming to Christ. Matter of fact, you see it throughout the whole book of Acts. And immediately what happens? It says in verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. In other words, when the church started in Acts 2, people came from all over Israel, okay? And, and, and what joined them together was their salvation decision and then the, the decision to follow Jesus in baptism. 
They were identifying themselves as part of the body of Christ by being baptized, outwardly showing their decision to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And then finally, baptism is a celebration of life change. Listen, there's not a more compelling image of people being changed from the inside out power of God than the experience and the visual picture of baptism. It should be seen as a celebration of what, of what the church is all about, which is about changed lives. The whole church, when we have people up there getting baptized, we should be cheering because that person is declaring to you that, you that they are a new follower of Jesus Christ, that they are declaring, yes, Jesus is my Lord, he is my Savior. Now, some of you have never been baptized this morning. You didn't walk in here being prepared to be baptized. Today's your day. I just want you to know that. You're like, what are you talking about? Listen, Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. Jesus became our great example so that we would have a great example to follow. And here's my challenge to you. First of all, I've done the the very best I can to explain to you salvation. Now I want to say this, don't, don't miss this. Salvation and baptism, they stand alone. All right? One follows the other. All right? salvation. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. You don't have to be baptized to be forgiven of your sin, all right, and to be in relationship with God for everything to be made right. If you had to, the thief on the cross would have had a problem, okay? There's a lot of people on their deathbed who come to Christ who they're not getting baptized. What is this over here? This is a picture of what happened over here, all right? It is a symbolic picture. It, it, is a, it, is, it says to the world, I did this, and I want the world to know it. All right? This identifies you with Jesus. Now, some of you have never been baptized. Maybe you were baptized when you were a child, and uh, y- you know, you're looking at this whole thing going, I, I, I have trusted Christ, but I don't understand that. I did the best I could to explain that to you, but baptism follows. It follows your salvation experience. And I know there's some of you in here going, yes, but what about my mom in New York who, when I got saved as a baby, she wanted me to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I get baptized this morning, she's gonna go, what are you doing? All right, listen, your mom prayed for you years ago or your dad or your grandparents that you would follow after Jesus, that you would, you would follow his word, all right? What you're doing now as your own person making a decision on your own is a fulfillment of the prayers that your mom, your grandparents prayed years ago. And some of you are thinking, can you, can you tell my mom that? I will do that for you, all right? So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray with you right now. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your savior, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, all right? If you have never been baptized, all right, here's what we've done for you. We have filled that tub up with warm water. We have, we have thought of everything that you could possibly think of that would keep you from going up there. We purchased it, all right? Everything you could possibly think of, we have it, all right? And for some of you, it takes this moment for you to make that decision, all right? I've had people come up to me and say, man, I, am scared. I have a phobia of water and of going backwards in water. Okay, you tell me that, we will be gentle with you. Okay, I'll put you down so quick, you won't know why. No, I, I won't. <laughs> I promise you, I, I'll, we will be really gentle with you, I promise, okay? You can go straight down. It doesn't matter what, if it's like this, like this. Like, 
what, hap- what, what matters is the fact that you're, you're, you're doing it. You understand what it is. You're following Jesus, all right? He, he gave us a great example so we'd have a great example to follow, all right? I know that some of you, we, in the last service, we had 20 people respond to this. And, and there were people who, we had people getting saved this morning. What, matter of fact, a guy that, that Paul and Angela had been praying for for 10 years got saved this morning. Paul had no idea he was coming up there with, with us. And Paul, I mean, it was, it was a beautiful picture. Seriously was. This guy coming to Christ today and following Jesus in baptism. Listen, you see the story in the book of Acts with Philip and the Ethiopian. I mean, guy got saved. They jump out of the, 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 the carriage. Philip baptizes him. It happens. All right? And so we're going to sing a song right now. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. You're going to love this song based upon the, the fact that you probably sing best to this song than any song we've ever done in our history because he lives. Uh, and as soon as I pray, I'm going to head back there. I'm going to change my clothes and I'm going up there. And I want you to boldly join me. If you've never been baptized or if you were baptized and you didn't understand it, you know, I mean, it just, you did it as a kid. I, I have no clue what I did. Let's, let's do that this morning. All right. For some of you, I believe that you're about to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. You're about to get saved. You're about to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Would you boldly declare to the rest of this church that you made that decision by joining me up there? So after I pray, you're going to walk over to that table. There's some great folks over there, all right? I know all of them personally. They're wonderful people. You're going to give them your name. You're going to write out your testimony. We're going to read it. We're going to baptize you. And you'll never forget this day for the rest of your life. Let's bow our heads together. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your personal Savior, this is your moment. Pray with me. Father, at this very moment, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins, Lord. I change my mind about how I thought I was going to make things right with you or the fact that that Jesus is the Son of God. Lord, I confess that Jesus is the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, help me to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. What Jesus Christ did for me on the cross was enough. And so I place all of my faith in what Jesus has done for me and I receive your free gift of salvation, forgiveness, things to be made right between me and you once and for all because of what Jesus has done. I receive Jesus into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. And I pray right now that you'll help me to take the next step. With heads still bowed, if you just prayed that with me, I want you to just either join me up in the baptistry or I want you to get your Get Connected card. If you're not ready for that decision, get your Get Connected card and then fill it out, take it to the help center, check the box in the front. Now, I want you to look at me for a moment. This is a very serious thing in our church. We're not being trite about this, all right? We think through this. It's very important, part of what we do as a church. Parents, I'm going to ask you to work with me on something, okay? If you have a child who is in our KidQuest area, fifth grade and below, I'm going to ask that you put them into our baptism class. It's called the Splash class, okay? I know you, you may want them to do this now. Would you just trust me on this one? Let them go through the class and then we'll baptize them later. Okay, we want them to have total understanding and be a- able to ask questions. I- I'm, not, I'm willing to do it, but I don't want to baptize your kids again when they're 18. All right? Because they felt rushed to do this. All right? 
But if you're a middle schooler, you're a high schooler, a college student, an adult, I mean, if you're 90 years old, I want you up there, okay? All right? So, Lord, help us to overcome our fears. Help us to overcome our apprehensions, our doubts. Help us to be bold this morning. And, Lord, we want to celebrate this as a church, the new life that's found only in Jesus and the public identification that people are willing to make right now because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.